Would you please tell the court why it is that you and your co-defendants took it upon yourselves to dig a very big hole in the middle of First Avenue? Well, there's so many holes in First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. <laughs> Keep that up, mister. I'll find you in contempt. I'm truly sorry, Your Honor. I'll ask you again, Dr. Venkman, why were you digging the hole? And please remember your under oath. There are some things in this world that go way beyond human understanding. Things that cannot be explained. Things that most people don't want to know about. That is where we come in. So what you're saying is that the world of the supernatural is your exclusive province? Kitten, I think what I'm saying is that sometimes happens, someone has to deal with it, and who are you going to call? Welcome to Sweep Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Macmasunas. How's everybody doing out there today? I'm not doing great. I am super, super tired, I'll tell you. I am flipping exhausted. Um, basically, this week... My daughter had to go to the dentist and uh, get some work done, and I had to do a lot of flexing around at work. And needless to say, today, I had to go in at about 3.30 in the morning, and I just got off, and it's about uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so it's been a long 12 hours. But I really, really, really wanted to do a podcast, obviously do Ghostbusters too. And uh, you know, it's been a week since the live show, the, li- the live show was last Friday, and uh, thank you guys so much for coming out to the live show. It was flipping amazing. It was awesome. It was fun. Um, got to have just a blast getting to know you guys. You got to know me. It was just great. I had a blast. It was so, so awesome. And uh, and the time has come to record Ghostbusters 2. And, uh, you know, forgive me if I'm not as energetic as I usually am. It's just because I'm super tired. But I will definitely try my best to, uh, to make it as entertaining as possible. So it's going to be a lot of good times. And, uh, and the emails are going to be crazy, and I'll just forewarn you there. So before we go ahead and get into all the fun stuff, let's go ahead and get into some movie and music news.
Alright, so this week in movie and music news. Now, I don't have anything for TV. The only thing I have for TV is uh, the show 24. You know, the big epic show that had uh, Keith Sutherland as the main star of that show. Uh, evidently, 24, there was a going to be like a movie that they were planning on doing. And it may turn out that it could be canceled after all. They're still, uh, it's kind of still up in the air at this point. So if you are a fan of the show 24, uh, don't get your hopes up for the movie because it may have been canned at this point in time. But we shall see how that goes. Now, a cool thing is, uh, you guys probably know on the Facebook page, since I just did the Turtles series just a couple of weeks ago, um, the Turtles reboot is officially um, been announced. It's going to hit Christmas Day 2013. Now, uh, this is being produced by Michael Bay's company, so I'm not 100% sure. Um, I'm, I'm more than 95% positive that this is going to be a live-action movie, and it's not going to be a CGI film. And uh, it's definitely from what I have heard and understood that it will be much darker than the first movie was. Now, I mean, dark, I mean, you could take that in totally different ways. But, you know, obviously the first movie is very dark compared to Part 2 and 3 and TMNT and Turtles Forever. I mean, we talked about this. But uh, essentially, when the reboot comes out, we shall see. So we'll get more information as time goes on. But I did post that story, so if you are interested, just go to the Facebook page, check that out, and uh, and then you can read the article there. So now, uh, interesting movie combination. Uh, there's actually going to be a movie that's going to have Anthony Michael Hall in it, along with uh, Danny Trejo, and then also we're going to have Mickey Rourke in it. It's a movie that's going to be called Dead in Tombstone. So uh, it sounds like it's going to be an action film, so we shall see how interesting that movie is going to be. I have always enjoyed, you know, those guys. I've always enjoyed Anthony Michael Hall, even back in the day when he was a nerd, and uh, Danny Trejo. I mean, Danny Trejo, he's a very famous guy. Uh, he recently starred in uh, Machete, so he's a very... Uh, he's been in hundreds of movies. Everybody knows who that guy is, so if you don't know who Danny Trejo is, just type in his name. It's uh, T-R-E-J-O for the last name. And you'll easily recognize this guy. And, of course, Mickey Rourke. Uh, so it should be an awesome combination. I'm looking forward to see how that movie develops. And then also, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese are going to team up once again. And it's going to be this movie called The Wolf of Wall Street. I guess it's like a memoir a memoir of uh, Jordan Belfort. So... Don't know too much on that film, but, you know, obviously it's kind of a cool thing to have those two team up again because usually it's always a good time when those two get together. So, and uh, and pretty much as far as movie news goes, um, Hunger Games, I'm sure you guys are pretty pumped up out there, is going to be coming out very, very soon. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, the movie's starting to get some major buzz. And, uh, of course, 21 Jump Street came out. And, uh, of course, the reviews I read uh, has been, you know, not good, which is funny because, you know, I knew it was going to be crap. But, uh, you know, RoboCop, RoboCop has been uh, cast for the uh, for the reboot. So I'm excited to see where that's going to go. And then Salt. Uh, it was a really cool Angelia Jolie film. Um, there was actually going to be a part two. And, unfortunately, she has... Um, Rejected the script and doesn't want to be a part of it, which really, really sucks. I was looking forward to seeing Salt 2 because I really, really enjoyed the first movie. 
But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It's not like I can force her to make the movie. So, And last but not least, um, if you are a fan of the Leprechaun series, which, uh, you know, it's always a guilty pleasure to watch those movies. You know, the first one was really scary. It had Jennifer Aniston, and I think it was like her first movie. And uh, I eventually got to, it eventually got to the point where it got real, si- real silly, like uh, Leprechaun in the Hood with Ice-T. I mean, Leprechaun in Space, real crazy funny stuff and anyways they're going to reboot that series so we shall see where that ends up but uh you know i always had a good time watching it's definitely a guilty pleasure but uh you know i could definitely see it being remade i don't have a problem with this film series being remade you know hopefully they'll do it right but you know god knows if that's going to happen or not so that's what i got for movie news let's get into some music news really quick here Alright, now if you guys remember, uh, a couple weeks ago I talked about a record label that I was pretty excited for. It's called uh, Idefy Music, um, and it's I-D-E-F-I-M-U-S-I-C label, so go check it out. Anyways, uh, and this record label is all about trying to get the artist paid versus having the record, lo- uh, record label you know, paid and all that other fun stuff. Uh, you know, in regards to paying, you know, you get a million dollar advance and after you pay all this stuff, you basically get like a dollar twenty-five, a CD and stuff. Anyways, Lyle Lovett, uh, I'm not a fan of his music, but obviously I know who the guy is. He's been around for quite a long time. And uh, they had recently posted about how Lyle Lovett sells millions and millions of CDs and he earns nothing. And uh, it's a pretty cool link, uh, a really cool story. So if you'd like to hear about this story... Let me know. I'll go ahead and post it on the Facebook page. But it's just more and more I'm getting confirmation about how these artists are not getting, uh, you know, not making anything, which is really, really crazy. Because, you know, I used to think that they were rich. But the thing that always confuses me is the fact of, you know, well, why is it some artists are rich and other ones aren't? So I really want to know what's the what's the difference there? What's the gray area? You know, because I'm sure Eminem is pretty flipping rich. And, you know, I see all these stars all these music stars that are that are rich and then i see other ones that i would think are rich that are not so it's just really really jacked up so i'm really interested to find that out and i haven't really been able to find the gray area but but more and more though i'm seeing more artists just come out and just say that they want to go ahead and do their own you know their own sort of thing and and be solo and and not be attached to record labels so they can actually make money and stuff so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool article, so uh, go ahead and check it out. If you go to billboard.com, they actually have uh, a story on it on their Facebook page. So, other interesting music news. If you have not gotten the song Out of My Head by Chris Daughtry, you need to go pick it up. Last night, American Idol, you know, and I have to admit, I'm pretty much done. I didn't even watch Tuesday nights to see what everybody sang. I just went right to the results show. I really could give a crap, but I was really excited because I knew Chris Daughtry was going to be on. And, uh, and Out of My Head is my favorite song from the new album. It's flipping amazing. And uh, I've played it before in the movie and music news section a couple weeks ago. But uh, go check that song out. It's flipping awesome. You should be hearing it very, very soon on a radio coming to you very soon so check it out it's flipping awesome great song it's definitely one of my favorites of the year love that song so not a whole lot uh left for movie music news and again like i said i don't have any tv news this week and uh and really i just want to get right into the movie so 
Let's cut this short and uh, and let's get into the review of Ghostbusters 2. At the stroke of midnight, on New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes... When the slime starts to rise... The Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload... We gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Look out! Look out! Sometimes, weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Right, suck in the guts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, no, no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the tenth level of hell. And kick some slime. It looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year. Close them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short. Your belly button sticks out too far. And you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray. Dan Aykroyd. Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. We're back! Who you gonna call? Alright, Ghostbusters 2, and I'm very excited to be talking this film. You know, 
Last Friday night was the live show of uh, Sweep Delay Podcast, the 50th episode. And, uh, and I know that there was about four to five people uh, in the chat, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, Jason showed up, which was, which was awesome. Um, Steve Rogers showed up. Uh, we had John the Mailman show up. We had uh, John the Music Man show up. We had Cheerful Charlie show up. Uh, we had uh, our newest member of the STL Nation show up. Uh, Nick the Night Nugent, uh, which was pretty flippin' awesome, and uh, and it was uh, it was a good good time. And then about 37 people tuned in to the live show. And uh, first thing I just want to say, I apologize because I was very very nervous like the first 15 minutes because number one, all week I had been setting up uh, the channel, make sure everything's cool, kosher, collective, just just pristine, perfect, right? So like 20 minutes before the show is going to start, the stupid chat stopped working. Super annoying and uh, really stressed me out. And, uh, and of course, um, I didn't know how to get music playing and videos and stuff. So I had to use my phone for like the stupid Ghostbusters intro and stuff. And then I got on. I was real nervous because, uh, you know, in the social stream, I saw Jason was on. He was trying to tell me the chat's working and trying to... Helped me out a little bit and, and my computer wasn't working so it was just real frustrating uh, I was really nervous so like after the first like 15 minutes things started to get so much better uh, it became so much fun and I uh, finally got into groove you know and uh, and it was awesome and then um, as I just started to have more and more fun you guys started to have more and more fun and it was just awesome there's no way I thought it would go three hours I easily thought that it was gonna be like an hour and a half and I was just gonna apologize to everybody for not for not showing up that you know that I closed it out early but you know it worked out where the review lasted you know a little under an hour and but the emails though you know the emails and the stories and all the questions led up to the full three hours and uh, and it was super fun and uh, we will definitely do a live show again no doubt about it Uh, thinking about the 75th episode I have no idea what movie to pick but uh, we'll have to decide what's the what's the next best movie to pick for a live show that everybody's seen so uh it'll be good times i'm really excited so let's uh let's plan on the 75th episode to do another live episode and we'll do it right around the same day you know a friday around the same time and uh hopefully everybody will be able to make it so it'll be good times and hopefully by then i'll have the there's like a newer account that you need in order to do like videos and and music and stuff like that so i'll get all that crap figured out before the 75th episode that way it'll be uh it'll be super better than just having a plain raw episode so anyways uh i'm super excited for ghostbusters 2 um and i'll tell you right off the bat i love this movie even more now than i thought i did before you know last week on the live episode i said you know ghostbusters perfect film five stars and i said i easily give ghostbusters 2 four stars right away i can tell you i give it higher than four stars and uh, I have various reasons behind that, which I'll obviously get into in just a second here. So uh, I talked about the logo. I flip and love the logo of Ghostbusters 2. You know, it's awesome. You know, it's the ghost behind, you know, the, the stop sign, so to speak, you know, the do not cross sign. And then it's like all happy and comes out with the number two. I flip and love that logo. It's awesome. Is it better than the original? 
to me, I love both of them just the same. You know, I've been trying forever to get a Ghostbusters 2 shirt. They're really hard to find, and uh, and I think I may have finally found one. Uh, I love both logos, and uh, and they're awesome. And uh, one thing with this movie is I noticed it had a formula to it. It was very... In the middle of the film, it starts to basically copy the first film, but do it in a way where it works perfectly. And I'll get into that in just a little bit. So uh, details of Ghostbusters 2. Let's get into it real quick here. Now, this is one of those few sequels where everybody shows up from the original film. You got the same director. You got the same cast, even the supporting cast. You know, Janine, the uh, the secretary of the first film, comes back. Louis Tully comes back. You know, uh, we don't we don't have uh, Peck, but we have somebody else that uh, that does a you know even better job or or worse job, however you want to look at it. And the movie is written again by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, aka Egon and uh, Ray. Now the music is definitely different in this film. I mean, we definitely have a more hip hop vibe, which was really big. Uh, you know, in the eighty nine in eighty nine is when this came out. Run DMC. Uh, I mean, they have the original Ghostbusters song, but Run DMC does their own version of the song, and the score is different. We have Randy Eldman who does the score in this film, but the music is definitely different than it was in the first one, but the music perfectly works for this film here. So um, essentially, this film came out June 16th, 1989. I remember uh, the year this came out, Karate Kid 3 came out, and uh, and the same day... I saw Karate Kid 3 and I was I was flipping uh I was like 2 minutes late for this one. So I missed the 5 years. I missed Dana and Oscar, the whole scene. The only I walked in when the Ecto 1 was smoking and going to the birthday party. So for me, I never ever since then I've never missed a movie a day in my life. If I can't get there in time for the credits, I will leave. I will not, you know, uh, or I won't, I shouldn't say I'll leave, but I'll make sure that if I'm going to be late, I don't go. It's just, it's a pet peeve of mine and uh, and it really, really sucks. So basically the general plot of this film is that after being initially hailed as heroes for saving New York from Gozer five years earlier, Ghostbusters actually got sued by numerous city and state agencies for property damage. And this judge ordered, uh, well, issued a restraining order which bars them from investigating supernatural, ghosts, blah, 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 forcing them to go out of business. So Ray owns this occult bookstore and uh, and he cooperates with uh, Zedmore, you know, Winston, as, uh, as unpopular children entertainers, which is funny in the beginning. I'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, Egon... He works in this laboratory where he conducts experiments in like human emotions. And Vankman, he hosts this little watched, um, it's like a pseudo psychic television show. It's named World of Psychics. And Dana Barrett, uh, she works at this Manhattan Museum of Art. Uh, it's like where she basically restores paintings. And uh, and just if you didn't know, they she has a son, and her son's name is Oscar. And, uh, you know, she's got a new apartment. Obviously, she's not going to live where she did before. And uh, and her and Peter, they broke up. And uh, now after an incident happens in the very beginning of the film where Oscar's baby carriage is basically taken into the street, uh, which, you know, is essentially because of the slime underneath the city, um, she turns to uh, she turns for help. But she doesn't want Peter to help out. So she goes to Ray and she goes to Egon. 
and uh, and it kind of turns out where uh, Peter eventually finds out that they're trying to help her. So uh, so he goes to uh, kind of crash the party. And uh, in the meantime, there's actually this other guy. His name is Yanosh. Uh, um, Real crazy flipping dude. Uh, he's basically uh, works at the art gallery and he is totally infatuated with Dana. He's actually brainwashed by the main bad guy of this film, which uh, is Vigo the Carpathian. Now, Vigo... Vigo is essentially like this 17th century tyrant who's trapped in this painting. And uh, Vigo orders Janos, he wants him to locate a child so that Vigo can possess him. And he needs to do it by New Year's Eve so he can basically gain physical form and take over the world. So in the meantime, you know, as obviously the Ghostbusters try to figure this out, uh, the Ghostbusters essentially get into trouble. They work under the streets of, uh, of New York City. Uh, which of course is illegally done, and uh, they cause a power outage, and uh, and because Ray discovers that there's like this pink slime that's um, filling this abandoned subway line, uh, but of course he freaks out. He hits the wrong, he hits like this pipe, and it takes out the whole entire electrical, you know, all the power, and they get thrown in jail, and and they go to court. So um, what happens is, is um, they are defended by their. Uh, they have, I should say, Lewis is their is their attorney, and he's really bad. He he basically acts as a lawyer to kind of repay them for what he they did earlier in the film. You know, in part one, uh, he only went to night school and that kind of stuff. So he's totally sucks as being a lawyer, but it makes for some good comedy uh, in this scene. Now. Uh, the judge, who's way over the top, probably the only real bad part of this film. Uh, the court stuff is really good, uh, but the judge is too over the top. But I'll get into that in just a minute. Anyways, he he gets so angry when he's sentencing the Ghostbusters that his anger causes the slime that they found under the under the in the subway line to explode and then these two ghosts comes out which it's actually the ghost that uh, he sent to sent to death you know gave him the electric chair which of course prompts him to reverse all the charges against the ghostbusters because they're not allowed to basically catch ghosts anymore because they're going to go to jail so everything works out the ghostbusters come back and uh, they're back in business again and everything's rocking and rolling so um when slime invades Dana's apartment, um, it seems like it's trying to basically abduct Oscar, which it is because it's trying to get Oscar so Vigo can basically possess him, you know, take over and all that stuff. So she goes to Peter's apartment and they start to renew their relationship together, which I'll get into about how I really, 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 really enjoy in this film. It's definitely the highlight of the film for me. And uh, which is really funny to say because most people don't dig it. So, um, so investigating the slime and history of the painting of Vigo, they discovered that the slime reacts to both a positive and a negative emotion based on what's coming at it, essentially. Um, and it even dances the music, which is pretty cool. So um, they go to the mayor to tell him what is going on with the river of slime, which is tracing back to the museum. They're found to be insane 
and uh, it sends them away. But it's not really him. It's more of his assistant. Uh, his assistant is just a douchebag and uh, doesn't like them and sends them away to be committed. So, of course, the whole ghost starts to go crazy just like it did in part one when the ghosts were released from the uh, from the containment unit and they wreck, they wreck havoc on the city. Well, that's when the Ghostbusters are able to be released. It's kind of like before. They were in jail. They got out of jail because ghosts were wrecking havoc. Same thing in this film. The Ghostbusters get locked up and instead in jail, they go to a mental institution and uh, they get busted out because the mayor is pissed off that all these ghosts are around and he needs the Ghostbusters to take them out. So New Year's Eve, uh, this is the night where they got to get everything done. And, uh, and the only thing they can think of doing is to use the Statue of Liberty because they can't go to the museum and get in because it's full of the slime just covers the whole entire museum. They can't get into it. But, uh, you know, due to the, the hatred of you know it's it's got so much hatred and anger in the slime that uh, it needs a positive reinforcement to basically wink at the slime so they figured they'll use the statue of liberty which will get the which will get them in there get into the museum but also cheer up new york enough to kind of make the slime have a more positive charge which is pretty cool so needless to say what happens is the ghostbusters obviously Save the day um, through a lot of uh, crap at the end. Vigo comes out of the painting and they take care of him with a bunch of slime and stuff like that. And and uh, essentially everything works out and uh, and the movie's over. So, uh, which I'll get into all the details of the film. But that's essentially the plot in case you have not watched the movie in quite a long time. Um, I know a lot of people have seen this as a kid, but they may not have re-watched the film recently. And uh, I have to say... I the reason why I've enjoyed this film is the biggest reason would be because of the fact of I'm a dad now. And you know I've been a dad for, you know, 9 years. My you know my oldest daughter's 9 and my youngest is 3. And uh you know you definitely watch the older type movies or your childhood movies a lot differently when you're a parent. And uh there's a lot of things in this film being a dad I definitely support more in this film. That made me like it that much more. So I'll get into the details uh, starting with the beginning of the film. Here's some of the great stuff that I really, really enjoy uh, starting from the beginning of the film. Okay, now I really dig the, you know, the five years later right away. You know, no messing around. You know, it's strictly five years later from the from the last movie. So you kind of know, okay, what's going to happen in this film. It kind of immediately puts you in an intriguing mode, which I really like. I really dig the whole carriage scene going through the different cars and and uh, and stuff without it actually getting hit. I mean, obviously, Oscar wasn't actually in the baby carriage, but it was a really, really good scene. And, of course, when Nana picks up Oscar, the new logo comes up, the Ghostbusters 2 logo, which is then preceded by the original logo that we know on the Ecto-1, which is a pretty cool edit that they did. I really dig it. It was some good stuff. And as I said, you know, I just love the logo. It's good stuff. Now, the Ecto-1 is pretty messed up. You know, you see it's got some backfiring going. You can tell how dirty it is. So you kind of know something's up with the Ghostbusters. And uh, and then, of course, the the birthday party. It's kind of funny that the kids are chanting He-Man. I mean, back in 89, He-Man was kind of like, you know, the SpongeBob of today. So I guess if they were to, let's just say the movie took place today, the kids would be cheering SpongeBob, SpongeBob, you know. So uh, real funny, kind of lets you know that uh, 
the Ghostbusters are definitely in in a bad state. And uh, it's definitely raising the stakes. You know, your heroes have officially fallen. Kind of like uh, this summer when the Dark Knight Rises come out, you know. Um, it's essentially Batman is going to be the fallen hero almost, you know, because he's taken the blame for Harvey Dent's murders and stuff like that. So the heroes, the, the, the heroes that were once heroes of the story are now like the enemy or nobody gives a crap about. So, uh, you know, and the Ecto-1 really kind of sets you up for what's going to happen, you know, and tell you how things are kind of getting down and out. Now, Winston, we see in this scene, but we don't really see him again. I think we see Winston just as much as we did in the first one, which really isn't too much, which is an unfortunate thing because I really did the character. Uh, Winston cut off his mustache, so he looks really different. You know, especially as a kid, I was like, is that really Winston? Because the mustache is kind of like Tom Selleck looks so different when he has the mustache versus when, uh, you know, when he doesn't have the mustache. Okay, now character development in this film. Um, you know, Ray is still the happy one. You know, he's the one that even though Winston's trying to tell him how, you know, nobody gives a crap about us. We got sued. We got closed down. He's like, yeah, but what a ride. He just smiles. Winston still seems to be the guy that just kind of goes along with the flow. And then when we get to see Egon for the first time, we see him doing his testing. Science is all he cares about. And then Peter. Peter is definitely the one that gets the biggest character development in this film. And uh, and he is definitely, in this film, my favorite character. You know, in the first one, I kind of said all of them together were, were the glue of the film. In this film, Peter, for me, is my favorite character because of what's going to go, what's going to happen throughout this film, which obviously I'll get into in just a little bit here. But I dig the, uh, the Egon and Dana scene when, uh, you know, Dana is talking about how does Peter ever mention me and he does his little test on her to get her reading. And uh, when she gives him a kiss, it's, you know, Egon's first on-screen kiss. And just the smile is just kind of like he's embarrassed. And uh, it was a nice, subtle scene that I really liked. And, uh, and of course, it's funny with the, you know, with the puppy. And let's see what happens when we take away the puppy and stuff like that. Um, but, of course, when we see Peter for the first time, What's really cool is, uh, you know, he's doing the world of psychics, which he knows he's a fraud. Everybody on the show that comes on knows that he's a fraud. But we get the uh, the dad from uh, Transformers is on here, which is flipping cool. Now, um, John the Mailman talked about on Facebook last night. He said, the New Year's Eve thing seems kind of random, like it didn't show up till the end. Well, actually, sir, uh, after I rewatched it today, there's a couple different clues that's going to let you know that everything takes place in New Year's Eve. And the first one happens during this scene when uh, when Peter asked this guy, okay, so when is the end of the world or do we have to buy the book? He said, I predict that the world will end on New Year's Eve. And he goes, this year? He goes, yes. And that's when, of course, Peter starts to give him crap about, you know, book sales and things like that. But that's your first clue that the end of the world is going to happen on New Year's Eve. And it was really cool seeing the dad from Transformers in this. And then, of course, uh, the lane, uh, the lady that Peter is talking to, Elaine, She, I know her from Twins. She was uh, Danny DeVito's uh, girlfriend in that film. So it was really cool, uh, real funny scene. Um, I dug it. And... Uh, of course, it just lets you know Peter is the same old Peter uh, that we left off on the first film, which uh, which is good because his character is going to take a whole different route in just a couple of minutes here. All right, so let's talk about Janusz. Now, this guy, I mean, if you thought Lewis was annoying, this guy makes Lewis look like flipping Egon or Ray or something. This character, 
is so annoying throughout this film. I mean, he's definitely a low part of the film. Um, I mean, I think he's just supposed to be this uh, this guy that doesn't know anything that just wants to just wants to get you know get with Dana, whether it be a date or or whatever. But he's just so flipping annoying. And uh, I mean, he definitely does a great job of being an annoying character. But uh, I would definitely take Lewis all day versus this guy. I mean, of course, Lewis is in this film, but not nearly as much as he was in the first one. But uh, Janusz, though, he is definitely, um, definitely annoying. Now, really, the first special effect we get of this film is when the head comes out of the painting. This is when you first see Vigo, and uh, you know, this is when Dana says that you know she's got to go, and and that's when Janusz is talking about you know. Um, you know, you do I have bad breath or something? And he goes, yeah, maybe next time. And you see the head start to come out of the painting. Um, I'm sure it's just a simple effect. It's subtle. It works. It's pretty cool. Uh, nothing too spectacular. I mean, it's nothing to do jumping jacks over. But, uh, you know, it definitely didn't look bad when the head was coming out of the painting. So, uh, so I, I definitely went along with it. It was pretty cool. Kind of gives you an idea of what kind of bad guy we're going to be dealing with in a little bit now the shop scene this is when peter goes in to visit the guys at the occult store uh this scene is really funny you know it's when they're researching for dana and uh peter's trying to get the information out of ray and he and he takes his ears and he kind of messes around with them and it's just uh good chemistry again all three of them have excellent chemistry they definitely haven't lost any chemistry it definitely picks right back up just like they had in the first film which is awesome kind of like karate kid 2 the chemistry picks up exactly the way it was in the first film which there are some sequels where the chemistry can be kind of lost and uh it definitely no doubt like for example beverly hills cop 3 uh, the chemistry is definitely not there between Eddie Murphy and Judge Reinhold like it was in the first two films. Now, granted, this is the second film and not the third, but the chemistry is still just as strong as it was in the first one. And one thing I noticed is that the uh, this, the talk, the real crazy talk that we had in the first one, we don't get a whole lot of it in this one. It's kind of toned down uh, um, for for Egon and Ray. Which uh, I can't say that's a bad thing. I can't say it's a good thing. It's just something that I noticed. I'm not sure if that was a writing decision. Uh, if they couldn't really think of anything crazy to say all the time. But I, it was kind of in a way a nice change. Because you kind of got to understand pretty much what Egon was saying the whole time. Along with Ray. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, so the scene where Peter you know, sees Dana. And uh, and they kind of have their little their little scene together. Um, it was really really good stuff. So here's where things start to become very interesting for me. And really, it's when Peter and Oscar uh, first meet and they they interact with one another. You know, after Peter kind of does his uh, you know. Uh, he has a funny line about how uh, I'm a man. Uh, I need to be loved. I need to be desired, which is, you know, of course, would be something that a woman would say. So it's kind of funny the way he says. It. And then she says, well, when you referred to me as a ball and chain, that's when I left. And because he's given her crap about her man leaving and ditching her and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, you should you would have been better off marrying me. And she goes, anytime I brought it up, you fell asleep or wanted to change the subject. So after the guys are going to basically investigate the room of Oscar, um, Peter is left alone with Oscar. And here's where things start to change for me as far as character development. Now, you know, there's kind of two different guys. There's the guy that uh, will accept your, 
your significant other's kids that are not your own. And then there's the guys that uh, that don't. And Peter is, you know, based on the character he was from the first film, you would definitely think that he would be one of those guys that uh, he finds out that the, the girl that he really, that he loved, went off, you know, after they broke up, went off, got married, and had a kid. And to me, Peter would be one of those guys where she would come knocking on his door one day and just say, hey, uh, I just came to, to talk to you. He would be happy. And the moment he finds out that she had a kid, he would instantly kind of push away and not really want to have anything to do with her. And then there's the other guy that would basically embrace the kid. And that's what Peter does. Uh, instantly, when Peter's left alone with Oscar, he looks at him and he just kind of smiles and says, you know, very calmly, he's like, you know, um, I should have been your, you know, I, I could have been your father. You know, he says, I should have been your father. Well, I could have been. And, uh, and then he sticks his hand out to Oscar and Oscar grabs his hand and they shake and uh, and they just start to interact with one another. And he picks them up and he starts to kind of dance with them and stuff. It's like immediately he looks at Oscar as though this is a kid that I didn't get to have with Dana. But because her man's not around, I can get back into her life. And uh, and I really like this kid. And uh, and they instantly, Oscar and his relationship definitely build in this film. Now, you're like, Mike, it's just a baby. Babies aren't stupid, okay? Babies know instantly if you're dealing with a bad person. I know that from experience based on children I've been around who would, you know, people I knew that were definitely, uh, I would consider them not respectable kind of disrespectful people douchebags whatever you want to call it where babies would instantly be in their presence and start screaming and crying and then with peter oscar just kind of observes and kind of laughs and giggles with them and he and of course the first thing peter says is uh you want to play with a big kid and uh instantly i'm loving this because this is great this is just as as a dad I can uh, I can look at this and, uh, I, you know, I, I can't say that I can relate in regards to like, you know, me and my wife, our kids are our kids. It's not like, uh, you know, I had a kid and we got together. She had a kid and got together. But I do know, uh, you know, my I have friends that have um, gotten married to somebody that's had a kid before and they love um, their their wife or their husband's kid just like their own and and that's really rare to find and when you do find it you want to hold on to it and never let it go and uh, and that's what I really appreciate I enjoy the relationship between Peter and Dana in this movie way more than I did in the first one because in the first one there's a lot of sexual tension there's a lot of uh, I like you I don't like you and then in this film immediately their relationship starts to build and there's trust there even though she says she doesn't trust him she you know goes to his apartment and uh, when she sees that he embraces oscar with open arms she immediately puts all of her defenses down and uh and they start to go out and and date and and he's basically becoming her protector in this film. You know, when, when she gets attacked later on in the film in the bathtub and she goes, I had nowhere else to go. And uh, and he's like, you know, this is your place now. You can just see the smile on her face and, and his interaction with Oscar. It's just awesome. It's really cool. I really love the relationship between Dana and uh, and and, um, and Peter in this film. It's definitely a huge character development with Peter that you never would have thought would have happened in the first one. And uh, it's just awesome. I really, really dig it. Uh, I know I'm talking a lot of too much, probably longer than I should have on this. But 
It's just this is the kind of character development you want in a sequel. And even though the other three guys, Ray, Egon, and Winston, they pretty much stay the same as they were in the first one, at least Peter, uh, we get this really cool. Because, you know, Peter was really the only one that had a relationship in the first one. But in this one, they take it to a whole new level. And I love it. It's some good stuff. So um, let's talk about the... uh, Let's talk about the the scene of the tearing up the uh, tearing up the streets. This is some funny stuff where uh, the cops come up and and say, "What are you doing?" And Peter goes into like his his working voice and starts to make up all these stories about power lines and stuff like that. Real flipping hilarious. Uh, it's some good stuff. You know, this is when they have to put Ray down into the sewer and stuff like that. And, of course, he gets busted. He says, hey, I checked your story. You're not with the comment people, so tell me another one. He goes, I got a major gas leak here. Where do you think all this is coming from? The sky? It's just, it's a really funny scene. I dig it. It's some good stuff. It's it's Vankman being Vankman, just like he was in the first one, which means he hasn't lost his touch. Now, the court scene. Um, I really like the courtroom scene because when we first get to see the two ghosts, the ghosts look even better than the ghosts looked in the first movie. But it's the judge. The judge is so over the top. Now, I don't think there's a judge on the face of the planet that would have gone off on two people like that where he would have just got out of his chair and start screaming at somebody and say, burn you at the stake. Obviously, I get it for the film that he had to go over the top to get the slime to build up and explode. But this is really the only scene that doesn't work for me because of the fact of how over the top this judge is. But again, it's got to move the story along. It's just he really kind of puts me out of it a little bit on this excellent scene because this there's some there's some stuff that's really priceless in this particular scene. Like, you know, Lewis uh, trying to be the lawyer, didn't know what to say. Peter's actually talk, mumbling what he should say. And then Peter has the great line about, uh, you know, well, we there's so many holes in First Avenue, we didn't think anybody would notice. And there's, you know, things people don't understand. That's where we come in. Sometimes crap happens. Uh, who are you going to call? You know, that whole scene is just priceless, excellent writing. I love it. It's a good scene. It's just when the judge has to, he, I should, let me rephrase that. The judge works. He's cool. Uh, he definitely works for being the the kind of mean judge that he's supposed to be. Because they do mention about how he is not a very great judge. So he's definitely not uh, compassionate. It's just the scene where he's given out the verdict. That's when he starts to go real crazy. But again, it's supposed to happen. So uh, I really like this. Uh, we get another montage. Which is basically like part one when the Ghostbusters say, you know, we came, we saw, we kicked its ass. And then, you know, that's when they start playing the Ghostbuster music. They do the same thing here, except this time they change it up. They have the run DMC version of Ghostbusters. They got new uniforms. They got the Ecto-1 back. We get a real pleasant surprise where we see Janine. And Janine has totally changed. I mean, she has glasses, but she's changed her hair. And uh, we don't really see her until a little bit later. But there's something I want to talk about in this montage scene, which I'm not sure you may know about, which is some pretty cool trivia. And during this montage, you can tell it's Christmas because the guys are going around and it looks Christmas time. They got, uh, you know, like the Santa hats on and stuff. So at this point, you're supposed to know it's Christmas time. Uh, But after the horrible commercial, which I think is funny, 
because um, of course they had a horrible commercial in the first movie, so they gotta have a horrible commercial in this one. But it's the scene where um, there's the ambulance, or not the ambulance, it's the Ecto-1. Uh, I always call it the ambulance because, you know, that's what it is, but it's the Ecto-1. So the Ecto-1 is going through, uh, it shows there's a, a red light, and the Ecto-1 goes through it really fast, and they show Peter, who, keep in mind, Peter is not dressed as a Ghostbuster, he has the green coat on, and he looks towards the front uh, at Ray, because Ray's driving, and then he looks back at Egon, and they both look like, what is going on? Here's the thing, this is actually a cut scene that was implanted into the montage, um, if you had read the comic book when this movie came out, because back then comic books would come out with the original movie a- adaptation before the movie would come out. So if you were stupid, you read the comic book and spoiled yourself completely on the movie you were going to go see the following week. So I purposely did not read the comic book until after I saw the movie. So when I read the comic book, um, what happens is is during the scene... Later on in the film, when they go to the museum and uh, they they confront Vigo, you know, that's essentially where Peter has to take the pictures of Vigo. And that's where you see Ray get kind of possessed where the, the eyes light up and Ray just kind of hunches over the ladder. After that scene, what happens is, is Ray is still possessed and he's driving the car very crazy and he goes through that red light. That was a film scene that they cut out and they put that in the montage to make it look like the Ghostbusters going crazy. And that's why you notice Peter, the next scene, will have his Ghostbusters suit on. Uh, but then in that scene, he had the green coat on because that's the same coat he wore at the museum. So if you watch carefully, you'll see that uh, that's that scene, that scene in the montage is because of the scene that happens later in the film. But due to time restrictions, they cut it out and put that part in the montage. So if you knew, if you read the comic book, you would... Uh, uh, you'd figure that out and it would make a little bit more sense because essentially he almost kills them. He he almost like crashes the Ecto-1 and that's when he snaps out of it and that's why later on in the film, Ray is so easily able to be possessed because he was possessed once. So uh, that's why he's acceptable to being possessed easily or or I should say more easily than he was. So, so that's the deal with the montage. Otherwise, I love the montage. Good stuff. Great song. Uh, you know, we got the Ghostbusters, the newer version. I like it. Obviously, it's not as awesome as the epic theme song that we all know and love. But the remix, you know, version of the Run DMC works well. I dig it. It's awesome stuff. And in the montage, we get to see uh, Slimer again. But this time, Slimer looks like he ate a couple thousand Twinkies or Doritos. Uh, he's flipping gigantic in this one. Uh, I think they were trying to make him look more like the cartoon version because by this time the real Ghostbusters cartoon was out. And uh, But it was really good to see Slimer again. Uh, I like the toaster scene. This is where you first get to find out that the slime gets to have a, a positive attitude and of course sets you up for what's going to happen at the end of the film. Uh, with the uh, with the Statue of Liberty, kind of like the Stay Puft Marshmallows in the kitchen, set you up for the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man that would happen later. It's kind of the same philosophy. So again, the formula is kind of kind of the same, but again, it's different. So uh, so it works. Uh, I dig it. Now, um, what I like is when Peter goes to visit. Dana uh, for the first time in the museum, and uh, she has these big glasses on. And he goes, "Hi there, pretty eyes." And uh, she just smiles because it's kind of like a warm, genuine smile. Now, here's what I really like in this scene um, that really helps tell you that the trust is really built. 
And that's when, um, you know, Peter starts to basically make fun of the Vigo painting and say he's sissy and he's going to paint a kid in there. When Dana tells him that, you know, Peter, um, that that painting, I have a feeling, watches me, even smiles at me. The moment she says that, he looks at the painting and looks back at her like, I totally believe you. Versus, you know, in the first one, he had a hard time believing her, like with the kitchen and and the refrigerator. So instantly, Peter knows that she's not lying and he can take her word for it. And uh, and it's pretty awesome that uh, immediately it's like the trust is there and, and it's really good stuff. It definitely makes the relationship so much more stronger in this film than we didn't have in the first one, which is awesome. So I totally dug that. It was good stuff. Again, it's subtle, uh, not really a big deal, but if you're really looking for it, you can find it. So um, now what I like is Peter wipes his hands. Um, before they leave, you know, because when Janusz is introduced to Peter, he kind of, after he shakes Janusz's hand, he takes his hand and wipes it on his shirt, kind of like this guy's disgusting. I thought that was hilarious. Now, at this point of the movie, I'd say we're probably about a good 30, 40 minutes in. The movie definitely doesn't look dated, but the scene where the guys, uh, Ray and Egon, are trying, they're basically developing the film. And they're putting it through their different tests. You can see a big old computer monitor screen, kind of like you saw in the first one on Janine's desk. This is really the only scene uh, that can kind of date the film. Uh, I mean, it, it dates it with the Nintendo joystick later on in the film. But, hey, people use Nintendo-style joysticks today with the Wii and stuff like that. But I'm just saying that with the if you're trying to make it uh, kind of like where it would be timeless, this would kind of hurt it just a little bit. But again, not a big deal. But it's just something that you kind of notice if you're if you're kind of observing. You'd be like, ah, look look how big that monitor is. It's kind of crazy. Now there was one line that I remember that Egon says, uh, and that's basically um, where they talk about the river of slime, and he goes, "Are you you know do you are you serious?" and and that's when Egon says, "And is an atomic." Um, Cobal weights 58.9 and then the way he says it it's like yeah obviously you know it, it was just kind of a funny line that was one of those few uh, crazy things that they say that uh, I can actually remember him saying but it's during that scene where they're discussing about uh, you know are you serious kind of thing which is cool so now I really love the scene where Dana and Oscar come over to Peter's apartment now, if you notice in this scene when Peter is basically kind of saying, uh, you know, I got this from a girl, from Joe. And basically says, I'd like you to do what his big guys call self-control. And he starts to laugh. And Oscar starts to laugh as he's wrapping the um, the sweatshirt as his diaper because, you know, obviously they're naked because they, well, not, not Dana, but Oscar's naked. Uh, it's funny because now Oscar is really warming up to Peter and he's just laughing more with them which is really funny um, and it, it's really cool. And there's one scene where I didn't get as a kid when uh, she said I should really put him down and Peter says, may I? And he starts to say, you know, you're a poor, you're, you're short. And he starts to give him all this crap. And I was like, as a kid, I didn't understand that scene because I was like, okay, wait, you're billing, you're having a good relationship with Oscar. Why would you say that stuff to him? But it was a joke because she said I should really put him down. So now I got the joke. Uh, it was pretty funny. But overall, though, I dig the scene. It's good stuff. Uh, it's definitely the three of them coming together uh, and building the, and those three coming together and, and being strong. 
uh, which is flipping awesome, good stuff. Now, I went a little bit out of order talking about the museum stuff, but uh, it's funny when Dana cleans the apartment and he doesn't realize he has a hamper and uh, really good stuff about, because, you know, he wants to take her out on a date and uh, has Janine set up to be the babysitter. Now, um, there's this one line where Janine's on the phone and uh, she says, well, we can't get to you until after the new year. Well, just don't go in there. That scene is to let you know that New Year's Eve is right around the corner, if not like that day, the next day, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but I like when he's talking about, you know, next time you're going to clean, let me know because I have different levels of uh, laundry, which is kind of funny, um, which, you know, probably a guy would normally do air out their shirt or, or whatever if He's definitely a bachelor kind of thing. It's kind of a funny stuff, but uh, but yeah, after that is uh, is where we get to. Um, I like the dinner scene between Dana and Peter when she uh, you know talks about how he's the most caring um, you know guy she's ever broken up with, and he's like speaking that why'd you dump me? And they they get into why you know things happen, and uh, and they kind of uh, rekindle their relationship and their love. And they kiss, and it's good stuff. And in the meantime, we're getting funny stuff with uh, the guys, um, Winston, Ray, and Egon in the subway, uh, trying to find the river. You know, they're basically in the subway looking for the river of slime. And a real funny scene with Winston and the train. Hilarious, good stuff. Um, That whole scene is really funny. Uh, definitely and it's kind of scary at the same time because there's a scene where uh, they turn around there's a bunch of dead skulls uh, or human heads and uh, and it was kind of kind of freaky and then the next minute they're gone and that's when the train comes uh, so I really like that scene because of the fact that it's got comedy in it and it's got a horror element in it and then goes back to comedy so that was a really good balanced out scene very very good okay now Janine Anybody else notice how horny this girl is? You know, she invites Lewis over, uh, you know, because Lewis really likes her, which is really cool because he's getting a girlfriend now. And uh, and she says, I got to babysit, but would you like to come with? And, of course, after Lewis puts Oscar to bed, uh, she starts to do, like, sexual, um, you know, things to him, like with her legs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, wow, this girl is really horny. This is definitely somebody that we – she wasn't like this in the first one. So her character kind of changed. I mean, she's still the same. Uh, the, she definitely looks different with her hair being short and red. Uh, but I dug her. I thought Janine was real funny, which, of course, in the cartoon, she has glasses and red hair. So I think they were making her look more like the cartoon, uh, which was cool. I mean, obviously, in the cartoon, she's not like that. But uh, it was definitely cool and funny. Uh, and Janine's definitely more happy in this film. In the first one, she's kind of down and out or just kind of, uh, I don't feel like being here. And, and, and this time around, she's definitely a happy camper. And uh, maybe it's just because her biological clock is ticking or something like that. But she's definitely a good time in this film. She's hilarious. Now, um, the slime scene after the guys fall into the river of slime and they get out and they start to fight. And, you know, they realize that they're going to basically almost kill each other. I like how Ray and um, and Winston are going at it. But Egon, of course, being the, the great scientist he is, knows enough not to give in to it and immediately tells them to take off their clothes. But they really only take the outside of their clothes off so they still have like their pajamas or their undergarments underneath. And their face is still full of slime so it's just kind of funny how 
the the bad slime, the negative effects kind of wore off just by taking the outside layer of the of the clothes off. But I went along with it. By this point in the film, you kind of have to. Uh, you don't have to, but for me, I go along with it. And I'm cool with it. It's good stuff. Uh, but overall, though, I really, really dig uh, the whole train and Winston scene. Uh, really, really good stuff. And then leading up to them fighting. And then when they go into the restaurant where, where Peter and Dana are, there's all these rich people and they throw in uh, Ray accidentally throws slime on this lady and, uh, and they get kicked out because, you know, Peter's just like, guys, guys, you're scaring the straights. And then that's when we get uh, the Bobby Brown song kicks in, which is on our own, which is essentially the theme song of the movie. I mean, of course, Ghostbusters is your theme song, but this song was really, you know, the video was excellent, kind of like Karate Kid 2. You had the, the glory of love. So this is kind of like for this film, On Our Own by Bobby Brown. Um, he does, um, this is like the theme song of Ghostbusters 2, which is cool. Because even he raps uh, towards the end of the song and he talks about the Ghostbusters and stuff. And uh, and then of course during the song when he sings, he's talking about the Ghostbusters. But overall though, I like this and he actually makes a cameo. He opens the door uh, for them to go see the mayor. Now here's the thing, um, this scene bothers me as well. The first scene that bothers me is the judge going all crazy and over the top when he's giving the um, the sentence. Uh, this is the last scene, well, I should say the last part of the film that bothers me, and that's the mayor. Now, the mayor, we know how he was in the first film. He was definitely a serious guy, but he was he seemed more rational and definitely open-minded. Uh, open-minded to a point. I mean, he wanted facts. He didn't want spiritual things thrown at him. In this one, he's just a douchebag. It's like, what happened to the mayor? It's like, they don't go into detail of why his attitude has changed so much. Uh, I guess you could just assume due to the destruction and the money that was... The Ghostbusters cause maybe he has a huge grudge against them and that's why he's acting that way. I would have just liked a one line throwaway, just like, you know, last time I saw you guys, you cost me a lot of money. Instantly it would explain his attitude and I could go along with it. But really the mayor is a complete jerk off until we get to where he says, get me the Ghostbusters. The whole other time, any other time he's talking to Peter or any other guys, he's just a complete jerk. And, uh, and I just would have liked a, a, a throwaway line that would have helped solve that problem. But uh, this scene is kind of funny because it's kind of like the Walter Peck confrontation, you know, where the Ghostbusters are trying to explain to the mayor what's going on, which, again, the formula is exactly the same, where uh, Egon and Ray talk some crazy supernatural talk, and Winston has to break it down for him and talk to him as a human being, uh, and then... And then, of course, Peter is attacking the Kurt Fuller, which you'll probably know him from Wayne's World. Uh, he was a total jerk in that film as well. Uh, and he's in, he's been in various other things. But uh, Peter has a thing against him like he had Walter Peck. And then, uh, and then essentially, he throws uh, the Ghostbusters in a mental institution. Now, what's cool about this, if you um, are paying attention, the mental hospital... 
um, the site, the psychiatric doctor is Brian Doyle Murphy, which is one of Bill Murray's siblings. And he was actually in Wayne's world with, uh, with Kurt Fuller as well. He was actually at, uh, the Arcadian owner in Wayne's world. So that's one of the places that I know him from. So it was cool seeing those two in a movie together was kind of, was kind of good time. So, okay. Now the, uh, the Oscar on the ledge scene, really good stuff. Now, one thing I notice is when uh, Janos is coming from the sky to grab Oscar, uh, because it's the nighttime, you know, because I'm seeing the building from the nighttime version, I guess I never noticed it before. It really reminds me of the child's play apartment uh, when that lady is uh, basically hit in the eye and falls out the window and then falls on the car. The apartment building complex looks exactly like the, the apartment complex in child's play. I'm not sure if it is or not, but they definitely look identical. But this scene looked really good. Janos was definitely a good-looking ghost. The way he grabbed uh, Oscar and put him in the the see-through carriage and went in the air looked pretty flawless to me. It was good special effects. I really dug it. Uh, It definitely um, created a dramatic set of tension during that scene of what's going to happen to Oscar. So uh, really good, really good stuff. Now, I want to back up just a little bit before I go any further uh when dana comes back to uh you know from peter being arrested and asks how oscar is one thing that janine says is oh yeah he's great we gave him some french bread pizza passed right out now if you're a father you know that you don't give a baby people food let alone like pizza i mean really they got to be at least one year old uh usually before you can give them like food like that because of a digestive system so I was kind of expecting Dana to probably, you know, if I was watching for the first time now being a dad, I probably expected her to go off on her. But she handled it very well when you find out that your babysitter gave your kid real food. Uh, that's, you know, I would check on my kid as well too. But it's kind of funny as a parent knowing that versus back then. I was like, oh, it's cool. He had some pizza, got knocked right out. But having two kids, especially I had one kid that was colic, so I know all about what you can and can't give a kid with gas problems and uh, it's just a horrible thing. But I just thought that was kind of funny. I just laughed at that, just kind of at the naiveness. So it's good stuff. Now, the uh, institution scene where uh, the doctor is trying to talk to them about tell me what's going on and all three of them uh, are talking crazy. you know, And they're telling you what's been going on in the story. But just the way they say it, you definitely would think that they were crazy. And then, of course, Peter says, don't look at me. I don't. I think these people are completely nuts. That scene, I just really liked this scene because it was funny. I mean, they told you exactly what's been going on the whole film. But hearing it from a, a, a side of not believing, you could totally tell why someone would think you're crazy by telling them this, this story. So, And I really like the montage scene that happens just like in part one where the ghosts get loose because, you know, the slime is essentially um, creating like, for example, this lady steps on the slime and uh, her coat, her fur coat comes alive and real freaky stuff. And uh, and. Yeah, it's it's just like the first one where Slimer got out and all the ghosts got out and uh, that's when the neon lights are going to Dana's apartment and blow it up. It's the same formula here. Ghostbusters are locked away, can't do nothing about it, and then the mayor has to has to break them out. And uh, it's just good. The formula works, you know, because a lot of times the sequel try to copy the first movie, but this movie definitely does it well. It copies the same formula at certain scenes as the first one, and it doesn't do it to the T. It makes it its own in that particular scene, which I dig. Uh, really good stuff. 
I find the Titanic scene to be funny because we get to see good old Cheech Marin uh, just sitting there and with his mouth wide open and the Titanic guys are coming out and he's like, well, better late than never. Um, and the songs that are playing are really good during this scene. I really dig. Music works very well during this scene and I like it. Ghostbusters get out and of course they start playing the Bobby Brown song again uh, on, you know, uh, on our own and uh, and they go and uh, what's really cool is they get back in Ecto-1 and they go to the place like in the first one. They go to the apartment building. Everybody's yelling Ghostbusters and this one they tone it back and you don't hear the crowd saying Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters but you get the idea that's what they're saying and, uh, and this time they got to figure out. Uh, how they're going to get in instead of Stay Puft Marshmallow Man we get the Statue of Liberty scene looks excellent uh, the only thing is is at the end of the film I was always wondering how the heck did they get the Statue of Liberty back to where it was but uh, this scene looks great especially when the Statue of Liberty is in the is in the water walking and uh, and you could tell how deep the water is because it's up to her eyes as she's walking and uh, the people get excited and they're playing uh, they're playing an awesome song. Uh, Your love keeps lifting me higher. Good stuff, and uh, and I, I I dig this scene. It's very fun. Uh, the special effects look great. Uh, it still holds up today. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Now Lewis puts on the Ghostbusters suit, and uh, it's kind of funny because as he's running, he's talking about how heavy the equipment is, and just like in Ghostbusters one. When he's before he talks to the horse, he starts to talk to himself as he's running, and he kind of says the same thing. And this one, he's like, "Stay sharp, uh, you know, stay sharp, be focused, uh, make good decisions." Lewis is super likable in this film, super funny, and uh, and good times. He's definitely not annoying in this film, unlike the first movie. But he was supposed to be. Janos takes that position, but Lewis is a very likable guy. And uh, he's definitely coming to his own in this film. You know, he actually ends up with Janine as his girlfriend. So his confidence level has been built up. So by the time he puts on the suit, he's feeling good. And uh, it's just good to see his character, you know, come to a different place as well. Uh, instead of seeing him kind of be the, the loser geek at the end of the first movie, seeing him come out with uh, with being a Ghostbuster in, in his mind, thinking that he got rid of all the, the slime, but he got a girlfriend and uh, and he, he made friends with Slimer because he originally saw Slimer freaked out and this time he got on the bus with Slimer. So it's good stuff. I really like how they took Lewis to another level. They don't take him as strong as they take Peter uh, and Dana, but... It's definitely good to see Lewis taken somewhere else than he was in the first film. And then, of course, the ending of the film is great. The whole uh, the whole scene of Oscar being taken and uh, them trying to rescue Oscar. And uh, and then Vigo comes out of the painting. And Peter is being protective of Oscar in this one. You know, once he's kind of trapped in, uh, in the spell, uh, he's trying to make fun of him to get him upset. So he'll drop Oscar. And, uh, and it's good stuff. Once he gets a hold of Oscar, he... He puts him he puts him to the side and just talks to him like Uncle Pete is gonna go help your mommy right now. You know, it just the way he talks to him is just like that's his best friend. Really good stuff. And I like when Peter says, Viggy, 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 you've been a bad monkey, because that's when he possesses Ray. So uh so good stuff. Um, you know, it definitely when they blew up the painting was kinda like how they took care of Gozer, they blew up the building, same way but without having to cross the streams. And uh and it is a funny ending. When you have, uh, instead of them full of marshmallow, they're full of slime. Uh, I should say mostly Ray is full of slime and he's super happy and telling people how much he loves them and stuff. But the best part is when uh, 
when Dana is going up to Peter and says, thank you, Peter. And he just looks at Oscar and for the first time he, he's like, okay, let me have the moment with your mom. He's like, you know, step aside. And he just kind of puts his hand and gives her a kiss and awesome stuff, man. Good, good times. And then the movie ends with the, with the Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters, um, song and they show the, the Ghostbusters being celebrated. And then we get a long shot of the Statue of Liberty. And then of course, we get the Twin Towers, which was kind of a kind of kind of a crazy sight. It was good to see those Twin Towers again, and uh, that's it. That's what uh, my thoughts are on Ghostbusters two. Now, obviously, this movie isn't better than Part One. I mean, Part One, uh, we all pretty much agreed on the live show. Part One was a five star film for me. I definitely go four and a half on this. You know, I said four star before, but after watching it, I definitely definitely go with four and a half on this just because i love how they took peter and dana's relationship and uh and even though they broke up they got back together and uh their relationship because of oscar even though uh, it's not peter's child they actually were able to uh to bring their bond back together and it became a lot stronger i like how they took lewis's character now granted egon winston and ray pretty much stay the same they don't really have uh, character development they're great. They work as a perfect balance to the film. It gives you the Ghostbusters that you know of the first film because we're kind of going through changes with Peter. They, they, Why would they want to change everybody else? So it works good that they kept the other three the same and while moving Peter in a new direction. Um, you know, I definitely dig the special effects are great. I love the logo. The music's really good. The score is really good. Um, but... Uh, Outside of the of the crazy judge and and the mayor, um, I just I can't give it a perfect score just because it's not as epic and as awesome as the first movie is. Part two definitely hasn't held the test of time like part one has. Um, me personally, I think it's a good one-two punch. Watch part one, part two. Uh, really glad there's no part three. Uh, you know, I mentioned on Facebook I was asking you guys if you had seen. Uh, or played the game Ghostbusters 3. Now, Ghostbusters the video game is essentially, even as Dan Aykroyd said, this is essentially the third movie. Uh, if you don't know, the game basically follows around as you're the new recruit of the Ghostbusters. So everybody is back in this game. Um, all the original characters, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson. Uh, we even have um, Walter Peck come back. We have Janine come back. Uh, even Brian Doyle Murphy, uh, Murray, you know, the psychiatrist of Part 2 is in this game. Uh, various locations, props from the film, Vigo is in this game. Uh, it's good stuff. And uh, essentially, you're the fourth Ghostbuster. You work with the guys. You take out Slimer. And it takes place about two years after Part uh, after part 2. And uh, it all kind of wraps up to have the Part 1 and Part 2 uh, mixed in together. And uh, it's an excellent game. It's kind of short. But if you really want to have a Ghostbusters 3, I highly suggest you play this game. Now, it's on all platforms. The main game is really only made for the PS3 and the Xbox 360. If you play the PS2 version, uh, if you play the DS version, it's made by another company. So the graphics look kind of cartoonish. Uh, but if you want to play the excellent graphic, I mean, this is one of the, the best graphic games out there. Uh, it definitely looks exactly like the guys playing. Uh, you know, it definitely looks like Egon, Peter. It's awesome. And uh, the voice acting is amazing. It's great, great game. I highly suggest it. The game's only like 15 bucks now. Go pick it up. Play the game. Um, if you have a PS2 or you know a DS, whatever, they do have it for that. 
but don't expect it to be as awesome as it would be if you get it on the system it was made for, which is the PS3 or the Xbox 360. Uh, excellent, excellent game. So, uh, so yeah, I definitely give Ghostbusters 2 a four and a half. Uh, very strong sequel, one of the best sequels I have ever seen to a film. And uh, I'm very glad there isn't a part three. And if we do get a part three, um, I'm sure as long as Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd are behind it, that uh, that they won't uh, they won't disappoint. So, well, we got some great emails. So uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, what the STL Nation had to say. Right, so um, our first email comes from Sebastian, Sebastian the Comedian. Now, um, there's a little history with this email. Um, he is writing in on the Karate Kid films, and uh, originally when he wrote in, um, he was kind of making a joke of the uh, of the Karate Kid films. Uh, he referred to them all as Kung Fu Kid and uh, Kung Fu Kid 1 and 2. He had never seen the originals, and he was basically kind of doing a really bad joke, and I had to have a talk with him offline about, uh, you know, if you're going to have an opinion on a film, that's great. I mean, that's the great thing with film is that everybody has their own opinion, and uh, not everybody's going to like what you like. You know, I can definitely respect what uh, if you like something, or I can respect if you don't, but I just want your opinion to be solid. Don't, you know, say in one sentence that you like it, and then the next sentence start to rip on it. You know what I mean? Have, have a good... Um, you know, have a good opinion about how you feel about the film. You know, if you only liked it halfway, you know, have a good, strong opinion about that. So this email is so much better. So I'm not going to read the the original email I got, uh, but this one has done a, a heck of a lot better, and it's about the Karate Kid series. Now, I'm not going to get too much into the details on this because of I haven't covered the Karate Kid series, nor will I be covering it for quite a long time. But uh, I'll go ahead and read what he says. He says, hello, show me the Winston podcast, which that was a bad joke, sir. Uh, this is Sweep Delay podcast. I like it when you make when you mix up the name, but you definitely don't want to call it show me the Winston podcast because that's a completely different podcast. For all listeners, I have never seen Karate Kid franchise until this month. I know, I know it's the best movie around and everyone has seen it. My reason for uh, me skipping it is largely because I grew up in part of a world where such films are not widely available I finally submitted and watched the trilogy in one weekend. Karate Kid, 3.89 the leg, sweep it, yes sensei, out of five. A really good film. The cast is well chosen, I believe, in the chemistry between Pat and Ralph. Many people rate the film four stars and above. I can totally see why you would rate it, but my rating is my rating and uh, and it felt right. Uh, the training montage that are spread across the film are well shot, but I feel that overall the training montage montage should have been shortened. I super, which I totally disagree with. Um, the super enjoyed this. I super enjoyed the scene where Pat is honoring his family, and I wanted to laugh. Uh, I wanted to laugh and cry. Performance. If Pat or Ralph were not cast in a trilogy, I don't think Karate Kid would be as memorable or as popular. Which obviously, Karate is just a subplot. The films are strictly about Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And if you're watching the films to watch karate, you might as well go watch something else. Go watch some American Ninja or something because you're not going to get what you need if you're looking for karate. This is a, a, a film film series about a relationship. 
Karate Kid 2, 3.5, Honor is Mine out of 5. A good sequel that takes a small step back down. All the friendships that was built last film and dragged it through wet grass and passed it off as new. I felt the Daniel's storyline could have been trimmed down and spent more time on Pat and his adventures coming home. Which I completely disagree with you on this because they spend a heck of a lot of time on Pat Morita and Mr. Miyagi's character. They don't really get into Daniel until the middle of the film uh, and then towards the end. This Part 1 is Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso. Part 2 is Mr. Miyagi. So I don't understand how you think that they spend more time on Daniel than they do on Mr. Miyagi. This is Mr. Miyagi's movie. Mr. Miyagi gets more screen time. And the story is all about Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel is just a subplot in part two. So I'm not sure where you're going with this. But uh, I'd be interested to hear uh, why you know why you think that. So, But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. When we do the Karate Kid series again. Not going to get too much into this. Because I'm not covering this series for quite a long time. Uh, he said Karate Kid... Three, uh, one repeat reminders of after school specials out of five. I totally dislike this conclusion. A high point is Terry Silver as he is actually a decent villain. Some things I learned, millionaire CEOs have nothing better to mind better teenagers who swept their name buddy business. Wave your hands in the air. Allow physics, Steffi karate moves. I have no idea what you're saying there, sir. And crotch shots don't disqualify you. During most of this, I was having flashbacks to after-school specials I was shown in elementary school. So uh, that's what he has to say on the Karate Kid series. So, um, And then uh, he writes in again, and this is about the live show. Um, he says, top five replies to live show. Hello, Sweep Delay Podcast. Uh, my top five sexy actresses, which the live chat got kind of funny with this category. He says his number one is Erica Christensen. Number two is a tie between Devin Oki and Jamie Chung. Number three is Noki Mori. Number four is Brittany Snow. And five is Jennifer Lawrence, which, uh, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is cool. Um, believe it or not, uh, I've, I was kind of thinking of some other ones. Um, I like uh, Coco from uh, Ice and Coco. I know Coco is like this um, this uh, model and, and stuff like that. She cracks me up, but you know she uh, she's definitely very uh, interesting looking. Um, and uh, she was kind of one that was like, yeah, you know, I, I did Coco. Uh, she she's good times. Um, and then I was trying to think of other people, but uh, Jennifer Lawrence is cool. You know, I know her. I know Brittany Snow. Uh, yeah, she's pretty cute too. I don't know the other ones. Erica Christensen, I think I, I know her. Uh, but uh, yeah, I haven't really spent too much time on this. You know, when you're married, you really shouldn't start thinking about other women because if you do that, then you're kind of going to be going down the drain. So I purposely try not to think about that stuff. But I mean, obviously, if somebody comes on screen, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I may notice, you know, like, oh, yeah, they, they look they look nice. So uh, the next one, he says, my top five games of all time, not complete order. One is Fallout New Vegas. Uh, which is cool because I I, I want to play that game, but I haven't got a chance. Total War Shotgun 2, never heard of it. Age of Empires, Halo CE, and Hitman Blood Money. Um, and my top five games growing up, No Order, Age of Empires, F-Zero-X, Pokemon, all of them, Halo CE, and Hitman. And my top five shows of all time. Number one is Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Number two is a tie between Gargoyles, Inspector Gadget, and Transformers Beast Wars. 
Number three is Fringe. Number four is Seinfeld. And number five is Rookie Blue. So thank you, sir. I definitely like that email a lot more than the Karate Kid one, as you could tell. But uh, again, um, I won't get into uh, the Karate Kid series too much just because I'm not going to be covering. But just overall, um, you know, here's the thing. If you have an opinion on the Karate Kid, I mean, obviously, this podcast is named after the Karate Kid. I play clips from the Karate Kid. I mean, you guys know I love and adore the film. You don't have to be afraid to say you don't like the Karate Kid. I'm totally fine with that. Everybody has their own opinion. That's the fun with film is you get to have other people's perspective. I last thing I'm going to do is say you're dumb or, you know, that's you should feel the same way I do. It's just that if you feel the same way I do about a movie, great. Uh, if you don't, I just want to hear your opinion on it. But it's just when you when you make a joke about your opinion, which is what my problem was with Sebastian that I had with him on the original email, is he was taking the comedian thing a little too far. And uh, he was really joking really bad on the films. And I just totally disagree with him. And it was something that I didn't want to read online because I, I knew that I would just blow up on him. So uh, so everything's cool. We We talked it out. I said, dude, just send in an email on how you really feel. I want to get your thoughts. I don't want you to joke around and, and say it's great in one sense and then the next one you're going to bash it. I just want an honest opinion. So that's the thing. You know, whenever we get to the Karate Kid series, if you absolutely hate these movies, that's great. I want to hear why you hate them. You know, if you love them, I want to hear why you love them. So don't feel that whenever we get to the Karate Kid series that I don't want to get your emails on how you feel about it. I do. I want to see how other people feel about it. You know, it's great. That's the great thing about talking with film with other people is, you know, what's the point of only having your opinion if you can't have somebody else's? You can bounce ideas off of other people and stuff. So uh, that's just the thing that, uh, you know, I just want to see about the Karate Kid series whenever we get to which is going to be more around the 100th episode type of situation. So um, the uh, the next email comes from um, our new we got a new STL member, guys. So, uh, so this is what happens when we get a new STL member. Banzai, Daniel-san. Hey, Banzai. 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 <laughs> All right. So our new emailer, which I mentioned earlier, uh, is from Nick the Night Nugent. Now, uh, Nick is pretty much uh, a celebrity, if you didn't know. I mean, he pretty much, um, if you didn't know, uh, he wrote uh, the biggest Knight Rider book there is, the Knight Rider Companion. It's like a 700-page book. And uh, he he knows so many celebrities, Robert England. I mean, you name it. This guy is flipping awesome. And most of you guys met him in the chat last uh, last Friday. You know, Mailman and, uh, and Music Man were having a good time with him. You guys are asking a lot of great questions and stuff like that. And uh, he's definitely a great guy. He does a lot of awesome artwork, and uh, he's got a lot of connections, and he is definitely a great and funny guy. And, of course, for his first email, he had to write me a four-page email, so this is flipping hilarious. So I'm going to warn you now, go grab a drink, uh, come back, and uh, and listen to this puppy. So, And the reason why I call him Nick the Knight Nugent is, uh, you know, obviously Knight Rider, i got to have some sort of connection there, but, you know, the knight kind of like you know he's kind of like a knight in shiny armor for us geeks he goes out and uh and he totally geeks out and uh does the things for the fans uh you know that uh, other people can't do kind of thing so that's how i, I kind of thought it was fitting uh so it's good stuff and he says this is nick here the digital quick he says dear mass man he always calls me mass man which is funny he says aka masoonist the greatest never-ending radical dude i know 
I've been sitting here trying to figure out the perfect letter to write you and the STL Nation and I hang on a moment, walks away from the screen. Now, this is where it's going to get funny. Uh, it's going to be kind of a different characteristic. So uh, just just hold out. This is pretty interesting and funny. Uh, distant shouting, hey, you, what's the flipping hell are you doing? Did you see I'm trying to write an email here? Ser- now, this is all in capital letters, so obviously I'm not going to scream it. He says, seriously, dude, what the hell? Stop messing with damn lights. I'm serious. No, don't sit there and make excuses. I'm trying to write a flipping email to an awesome guy, and you're over there messing with the flipping lights while I think. Do you understand my mind is is not in the email if you're doing that? What don't you flipping understand? No, this isn't the first time, man. What's the flipping hell is going through your head? Are you professional or what? Do I flip and walk around and mess with your lights in the middle of you writing an email? No. Da, da, da. Like this is in the background. What the flipping hell don't you understand? Give me a flipping answer. I hope it was flipping good because I have to start the hell back over, you amateur. This is the second time you've don't give a damn about what I'm trying to do. We're done professionally. Seriously. No, now you're pissing me off. Get out of the flipping room. No, I will not calm down. I'm trying to flip and work here with you messing up my flipping train of thought to this STL nation. Hell, you flipping derailed it. Thank you very much for that by the flipping way. Return to the computer. Which, if you don't get the reference here, if you guys remember the Christian Bale blow up, of the of of uh terminator salvation that's what that was supposed to represent and he says sorry about that some jabroni keeps messing messing with the lights while i'm trying to write this email and if you don't get the reference look up christian bale light rant on google so let's see and by the way nick is all about referencing other stuff which is hilarious uh he says so let's see hmm, a little about myself well i write a lot So you've been warned. Get yourself a cold one. This is going to take a while. I'm a guy who loves making digital art and loves making a difference in this little television fan world we call Knight Rider. I've been loved for it. I've been hated for it. I've been banned for it. But I just keep in, I just keep in ticking because like Rocky Balboa, I just keep getting up and making my mark. Maybe that's more like Zorro. And I don't know, maybe both. Well, I make awesome artwork because I love doing it. Just like you make awesome podcasts because you love doing it. At least I think you do. Yes, I totally love what I do. I mean, I'm so flipping tired today, but I had to record just because, you know, it's been a week. And uh, and that's what I love to do is just get out a new episode. He says, speaking of Knight Rider, you once asked me why a majority of people hated the new Knight Rider. Well, without going through the reasons RoboChicken so eloquently stated in their hilarious skit, I had to ponder this and I think I can sum it up in one memorial, one memorable statement. Knight Rider the series aka Knight Rider 2008 was disliked by the vast majority of fans because it was a show that featured a driver nobody knew about in a limited edition muscle car no one can afford voiced by a speak and spell no one wanted to hear with a fake high-tech CG dash no one could actually build. You really have to wonder about a supercar that could turn into a minivan with tinted black windows whose sole purpose is said mode is to kidnap people in broad daylight, you know. I'm just saying it's weird. 
Not to mention, it can also turn into a police car to throw off suspicion of its questionable activities and whip out two Acme-sized Gatling guns when people disagree with its wishes or fire missiles. How about those Star Trek-like shields? Are they necatomically or just nanotech nonsense? I don't know what I hated more, the stupid attack mode with the frying pan wheels and fear of speed bumps or the lack of story direction. They say every hero has to have a strong system of checks and balances, but with this concept, forget the checks. I just felt like the suits and chars were just just playing creatively bankrupt. I like my Knight Rider with some, ooh, what's the word? It's not sex appeal or or gobots that takes a hit it's something more oh i know believability so if you can't tell the new knight rider uh 2008 uh was kind of like transformers making kin into a transformer you could go into a pickup truck and just a lot of fans didn't hate that so that's what he's talking about in the new knight rider series if you haven't seen it is the fact of how kid would always transform into stuff and have these crazy weapons and stuff uh but you know they say every show gets off gets off to a rough start which that's totally true i mean knight rider only has to reboot itself about three flipping times but still it wasn't all bad and it had potential to be better it's just and just as it might claw its way into some sense of relevance nbc pulls the plug on it like a bathtub with those hopes and dreams for a knight rider festival Mm -hmm. comeback just swirled down the drain which this is true you know they cleaned up the show they got um they started to make the show just like um the fans wanted it more like the original and then nbc pulls the flip and plug speaking of the new knight rider i managed to sneak into an executive office of nbcu the other day and make off with their list of slam dunk combo ideas you want to hear them bible slash pictures of the author bumper car slash airbags bean bags slash mexican jumping beans oxygen tanks slash coin deposits wheelchairs slash mud flaps Nuclear bombs slash inspection tags, heart monitors slash screensavers, minor helmets slash strobe lights, bob sleds slash air fresheners, food stamps slash collectors albums, suicide hotline slash answer machines. But the number one combined approval was Knight Rider slash Ford commercial. Go figure. Let's talk Christian Bale for a moment. Now, this is where it gets really funny, guys. And I'm going to try to do my best Christian Bale voice here. He says, I love the guy. I do. But his performance as Batman in the Nolan movies leaves a lot to be desired, which I totally disagree with you on that, sir. 100%. I think Christian Bale is the flipping best Batman. Love the guy. Granted, I admit that his voice was kind of crazy in The Dark Knight, uh, but in Batman Begins, it was perfect balance of uh, of how uh, of how to be completely different than Bruce Wayne. It was awesome. I love it. I cannot complain one bit about his voice. So that one I totally disagree with you on, sir. He says, no scratch that. It sucks. It just plain sucks. I can barely understand a damn word he's trying to say, though all the heavy breathing and growling, but I do enjoy him as Bruce Wayne. Hey, here's an idea. What if Bale's Batman tried to order fast food? I think it would go something like this, and you have to keep it in mind the shouting, growling, and awkward pauses between his heavy breaths. Batman, hello? I would like to order some fries drive through sir we don't carry fries here why because we're taco bell what where where does it say taco bell it says so on the sign sir if you like you could order some tacos fine 
I'll take the tacos, but I also want fries. This city deserves a drive through option where you can order fries with your tacos. I'm sorry, sir. We don't serve fries here. There's a Del Taco in Metropolis. No, too far. The gas for the tumbler is insanely expensive, and you can't get it at the gas station. But they have fries. I'm Batman, and I don't want to go to Del Taco. Some annoying flying Boy Scout runs it, and I don't like him much. He annoys me. Superpowers annoy me and sometimes creep me out. I just want fries here with my tacos and maybe a Mountain Dew. Well, sir, if you really want fries, you can go to McDonald's up the street. No, I hate clowns. Clowns annoy me too with their cheap makeup and switchblades and stupid purple suits. Well, I don't know what to tell you, sir. All I want is a place to serve my fries with my tacos and my large Mountain Dew with no ice. We can barely, we can certainly help you with your order, sir, but we don't carry fries. Perhaps you would like some cinnamon twists instead? No, I'll go somewhere else where a man can get what he wants because sometimes a man deserves to get what he wants to eat when he spends his nights protecting a city that needs protecting. So I guess I will just go to Subway and get my fries and my Mountain Dew with no ice and maybe a cookie. But sir, they don't have fries either. Why? The tubbler speeds off, leveling several cars in the parking lot in a hall or sparks and twists the metal before disappearing into the night because Batman doesn't leave notes when he hits other people's cars when they're not around. Well, that's all I have in my bag of chips for this email. I hope I've made a lasting impression and I'm here all night. No, seriously, I don't have a girlfriend yet, so I'll be here stalking my Facebook or Twitter hoping some soul some soul out there will actually want to talk to my poor soul and give me some attention. I'm most certainly not going to mention that I wrote an awesome 680-page color book on Knight Rider and that you can order at www.nightridercompanion.com. And that's is actually and that it's actually on sale for thirty dollars plus shipping and handling. Definitely not gonna go there because that would just be tacky. Like if I said you can follow me on Twitter at night kr companion or my Facebook page, but I won't say that. Not this night. No way. Anyway, enjoy and keep on bringing awesome ass man. You keep recording them and I'll keep listening to them and loathing the ads, which. Yeah, in the live show, we had a bunch of ads, so I'm really excited that the live show turned out really good without having the ads. That was definitely a bonus point. He said, now, if you excuse me, I have to go to KFC and get some donuts because I'm Batman. Nick. Nick the Night Nugent. So thank you, sir. It's definitely the most interesting email I've ever had in my whole entire life. It was definitely good times. And the the STL Nation has an excellent sense of humor, so I'm sure they're all going to love and flip and think it's hysterical. Um, it'd be good, sir, to hear from you next time on your thoughts on Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I know you really dig Ghostbusters. Um, I don't know what you think about Part 2. So next time you write in, I definitely want to hear what you got to say, sir, on that. So it was great having a new member of the STL Nation. So let's see if I can remember everybody that we got. We got uh, we got Jason. We got John the Mailman. We got John the Music Man. We got Sebastian the Comedian. We got Top Gun Jason. 
We got uh, we got cheer, cheerful Charlie. We got Nick the Night Nugent, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's everybody in the STL Nation. So if you would like to be a part of the STL Nation, all you got to do is write in the Sweep Delay Podcast at Yahoo.com. You can go ahead and follow on Twitter. It's STL Podcast. And uh, if you guys could, it would be so great. Um, just go to iTunes. Um, I, there's eight ratings right now. Um, the show hasn't been rated uh, in about six, well, I should say a review left in about six months. I would just, if you could possibly just go out there, write a quick review. Um, the more reviews, obviously, um, the, the higher, the more popular the show can get. Uh, but you know, if you've already done that, thank you so much. And if you haven't, if you can just find just a couple seconds, even if you just want to rate it and just move on, that's awesome too. So I just wanted to, uh, to bring out that. And then we do have, uh, two more. Uh, we have, um, John, the music man. He said, hello, sir. Ghostbusters two. I am not a big fan to me. This movie is just okay. And the end with them using the statue of Liberty was just too over the top. Which for me is odd. I normally like cheese, but I think because the first movie is so good, I compare number two with number one, and number one is just so good. But saying all that, I give this three Slimers. It's okay, but I don't plan on rewatching anytime soon. John the Music Man. So, which is really weird because usually him and me, we pretty much sink eye to eye on, on the film. So it's just kind of funny to see he did not like that too much. So. All right, and our final email comes from John the Mailman, and he is the one that really helped to get the questions going in the chat. Uh, you know, when when Nick couldn't think of anything, uh, he was really throwing out some good ones. Um, and he says, "Hello, Mike. First off, let me say, great live show. That's all in capital letters. So thank you, sir. It was super fun. Thank you so much for coming. He said so much fun and so many great people in the chat." I would like to start a campaign for a live show, episode 75, How About It? Which, no doubt about it, the plan, I'm with you, live show, 75th episode. Because obviously the 100th episode, I'm definitely going to do live. But 75th episode, let's start planning now. Let's think of a great movie that we can do for the 75th episode. Because Ghostbusters was the perfect, perfect, perfect movie to do for number 50. So let's pick something that would fit for 75 uh it'd be awesome so i am with you sir he said ghostbusters 2 not as good as part one but fun and some good jokes and one-liners i don't see part two as many times as the first and forgot it was a five-year jump and uh they thought and they found that pink slime so early um i still don't care for dana having a baby maybe make it a nephew or something i really don't care for them being um which i'll just stop you there um you know think about the impact the impact definitely wouldn't be as strong, especially Peter's character, um, showing the growth of his character by accepting, you know, he he's always loved Dana and, you know, I'm sure he wanted to have a child with her and the fact of she had a child and it's not his and the fact he opened, uh, he accepted Oscar with arms wide open, that just makes his character that much better. So with the nephew, it would have been ah, no big deal. I'll, I'll see him whenever I see him, kind of thing, you know. So it's definitely a different kind of relationship. So, um, and then he goes on to say that uh, I don't really care for them being so hated at the birthday party at the start, but like that they do appearances for some side cash, which they had to have been hated in the beginning of the film for the comeback to be that much better. You know, you you definitely can't have them be as famous as they were at the end of the part one it makes perfect sense to make them down in the dumps kind of thing so 
Um, I love the Egon research part at the beginning. Let's see what happens when we take away the puppy. Funny. Uh, I like the court part, watching them get back in action, and the bad commercials were very funny too. I wasn't that big of a fan of Vigo the first time I saw it, but this time around, I don't mind him. Uh, lover of the big Nintendo controller, which, yeah, I forgot to mention that. The Nintendo controller is flipping awesome. Um, I used to have that controller. It's good times. It's, they use a Nintendo controller to use this, uh, to move the Statue of Liberty, so it is some good times. And uh, he said, love, um, and all... All in all, I'd give it a three and a half stars. Have a great show, John the Mailman. Consider this email delivered. So thank you, sir. Always great to hear from everybody in the STL Nation. Thank you so much. And uh, and that's what we got, guys, for emails. So, um, so yeah, like I said, if you want to write in, feel free. And uh, let's go ahead and get into the uh, – oh, I just want to say one more thing before I get into the music spotlight. Uh, with the last episode, um, because the live episode was three hours – um, and I did a best of episode, uh, which was about 46 minutes. I tried to pick some of my absolute favorite parts of the past 50 episodes. Um, I couldn't add it to the end of Ghostbusters because it would have been really long. So it is its own episode. So make sure that you go into your iTunes feed under Sweep the Leg. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, it's going to be in gray and you'll have to hit the button that says Get. And then you'll be able to download the very best of because originally I said it was going to be at the end of the live show. But due to the you know three hours and it would have made it a four-hour episode, I had to make it its own episode. So if you haven't downloaded already, go look for it in your iTunes feed. You'll see it there, but it'll be grayed out. So you just got to hit get and there you go. You get the best of. And this is one of my favorite episodes to put together. It was so much fun and uh, it was good time. So let's go ahead and get into the music spotlight. All right, music spotlight time. So this is definitely coincidental, um, this whole Peter and Dana talk and everything. Um, you know, one thing with me and my wife, um, we definitely, we've been together a long time. We've been together over 10 years. And uh, I can say that if we fight, we probably fight maybe two, three times a year tops. I mean, we're definitely, you know, best friends. We do everything together. And uh, you would think being together, doing you know all this stuff together, you would just get annoyed with one another. But we definitely it takes a lot for us to uh, for us to fight. Which we had one earlier in the week, and and this song just kind of made things perfect for this spotlight. Now, um, the reason why I'm going to play this song is you know one thing. Um, the name of the song is called "Start Somewhere," and uh, that's kind of the thing with a fight is uh, you know. A lot of times a fight will start over something stupid and then it just it blows up. You know, it's over something simple. It blows up. And and uh, I hate fighting. It's like the worst feeling in the world. And, uh, and you know, as a guy, it's very easy to hurt uh, a woman's feelings. And, uh, you know, and guys aren't too emotional about, you know, their feelings and, and stuff. And, uh, and this song is perfect. This is basically um, – this song is made – from somebody that I that I look up to that I've looked up to for a very very long time, 
and the name of this guy is Toby McKeon. Now, um, you probably have heard of this guy. Um, he's kind of shortened his name to Toby Mac. And uh, you've probably heard him in a bunch of movies and, and sporting events. Uh, if you've gone to any sporting events, chances are you've heard some of these tunes. Um, here's a couple snippets for you. So yeah, that's uh, that's Toby McKeon, and uh, he, you know, musically, lyrically, um, I just this guy is just awesome. He can do everything. He can do rap, hip hop. Um, this song is more of a Latin flavor, uh, which is really cool. And essentially, um, he has five kids, and uh, with him being away, you know, his wife is definitely his rock. Like my my wife is my rock, and uh, this song is about them having a fight together. And uh, one of my favorite lines from the song is, uh, I said some things that I regret. I wish I could take them back. If I could turn my words around, you wouldn't hear a sound. But uh, here we are, um, not that far. Uh, I'm reaching out my hand in love. Um, forgive me for what I've done. And uh, and that's essentially it, man. You know, you got to start somewhere. Uh, you know, she's broken. You're messed up. But you got to start somewhere. You got to figure out somewhere to kind of repair the damage. And this doesn't go out. This goes out to everybody. This isn't just if you are married. You know, this definitely is definitely dedicated to my friends out there that are married. But if you're in a relationship and uh, a lot of times your pride will definitely take over you. I was right. They were wrong. I was right. They were wrong. It's just kind of how it always works. But you got to swallow your pride and and uh, and try to get things fixed before the sun goes down. You know, and it definitely makes things better for you. And uh, and you just got to start somewhere. You got to figure out some some place to start. Uh, w- whether it just be hey, I'm sorry, and just talk it out. Fighting sucks. And uh, and this song is great. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. And uh, it's just it's it really helped me out this week a lot. I listened to it a lot because I just hate fighting, and I definitely had to start somewhere during that fight. And uh, and we made up. Everything's cool. But uh, it's just kind of a reminder. Uh, for anybody out there in a relationship that uh, you just got to start somewhere whenever you get in a fight because if you don't, you know, communication is the key, the key to success. And if you don't communicate, you're going to, your relationship's just going to go down the drain, you know. So so this song is uh, Start Somewhere. It's from my boy Toby Mack. Uh, absolutely love this song. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope it helps anybody out there if you're going through a problem uh, with fighting with uh, with your significant other. So uh, that's what I got for you guys. Um, next week, 
Uh, before the WrestleMania talk, uh, we are going to be doing a super fun episode. It's going to be The Last Boy Scout. Uh, my One of my all-time favorite Bruce Willis films. Bruce Willis is a complete jerk-off in this film. He has, like, this movie has so many great one-liners. I can't even contain and write it all down. Um, this movie is so awesome. It's got Damon Wayans in it. It's a super great, awesome film. Go check it out. That's the movie we're doing. It's The Last Boy Scout. It's a great action comedy. And uh, Bruce Willis is a complete jerk the whole entire movie. And he has the great lines. If you're a big Halloween fan, Daniel Harris is in this film. She plays his daughter. Uh, excellent film. And uh, before we start the Star Wars series, I was just thinking about doing two more other fun films. Uh, which would be Major League with uh, Charlie Sheen. Excellent, great, great film. Um, you know, Serrano, love that guy. And then the the Last Dragon, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. You know, Bruce Leroy. And then and then get into the and then obviously the WrestleMania episode will happen between there somewhere. And then and then start the six week series of Star Wars. So I wanted to have a little fun before I get hardcore into Star Wars, just because it's gonna be kind of some serious crap. And I want to have some fun before we get in there. So hopefully you're cool with that. So next episode, The Last Boy Scout, go check it out. You can find it for like five bucks at walmart you can probably find it on netflix it's great you will not be disappointed in this film you will laugh hysterically some of the greatest one-liners ever the action is insane damon waynes is awesome so that's the movie we're doing next week guys so uh make sure you email in on that i can't wait to hear what you have to say and, uh, and that's what i got for you guys so you guys take care listen this up
shot's got to go, man. That's it. I mean, enough is enough. Good.